Wives, be subordinate to your husbands as is proper in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and avoid any bitterness towards them. Wives, do what? It's often a common reaction of most people when they hear the passage from St. Paul. Today, we hear St. Paul's words to the community in Colossia, from the book of Colossians. But this little passage, this little exhortation and teaching, is really just a shortened version of Paul's longer exhortation and teaching that is given in the book of Ephesians, written to the community in Ephesus. But there's something quite interesting about St. Paul's words today to wives and husbands, and also connected to our gospel passage. We hear that Jesus stays behind in Jerusalem, begins to listen and ask questions in the temple, but he also amazes those that are listening to him. Mary and Joseph, full of anxiety, eventually find him, and Jesus tells them that they should have known where he was going to be and what he's going to be doing. But then Luke tells us this. He says, Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. Jesus was obedient to Mary and Joseph. Now you may be wondering what's so interesting about that. He's their son. He should be obedient. And yes, you're right. But without maybe getting too scholarly, I want to point out something that's very fascinating. The very word that we hear translated as obedient in Luke's gospel is the same Greek word that we hear translated as subordinate in the words from St. Paul. In short, let me put it this way. Luke uses this particular word to talk about Jesus' relationship to Mary and Joseph. But St. Paul uses the very same word to talk about a wife's relationship to her husband. Now, why is this so illuminating? Because often St. Paul's words are quite misinterpreted as misogynistic. He's saying that women are slaves. In short, that women are inferior to their husbands. But this can't be what it means. Because if that were the case, then that would mean that Jesus is inferior to Mary and Joseph. But what have we been celebrating all throughout Christmas? That God becomes man in the person of Jesus. That means Jesus is not inferior to Mary and Joseph. He is greater than them, infinitely greater than them. And so what is being told to us? Maybe to put it this way, Luke is not trying to make a statement of Jesus' inferiority, and St. Paul is not trying to make a statement of a wife's inferiority. Rather, they're both making a statement, they're both, both making the point that within the family there's a proper order. God has designed there's a proper order in the family. There's certain roles, certain responsibilities given to men and to women, to husbands and wives, to even children. And there are proper roles and responsibilities to each. Now, this is not to make a rigid box that everyone must fit in, but it is to recognize and respect the God-given order and design 
that he gave to men and women, that he created them differently, and he did so on purpose. Why? Because they contribute uniquely to the family. They contribute uniquely to their relationship, to their marriage. Now, to the modern mind, this is unheard of. This is absurd. This is maybe even controversial. But I think there's a deeper issue at hand. Because we see in our society there's a movement. We see in our society there's a movement that tries to equivocate, a big word for making equal, equality with sameness. Let me repeat that. Our society tries to equivocate equality with sameness. That if we want to have equal dignity, we have to be the same. But when God created man and woman, he created both of them very good. And they both have, both have unique roles and responsibility to attribute, to give, to contribute to a marriage. And so we don't need them to be the same. We need them to be different. Because the world's a much better place. And this is precisely the case in marriage and family. And so there's one particular practical implication I want to maybe highlight for us today. And that is the role of the father. There are many statistics, to, statistics out there to share, but I want to give you two. They're very staggering. It says, if a father attends church at least irregularly, and the mother attends every week, only 3% of the children will subsequently become regular church attendees themselves. 59% will become irregular church attendees, and 38% will become non-practicing. In short, the survey goes on to say that if a father does not go to church, no matter how faithful his wife's devotion, only one child in 50, one in 50, will become a regular church attendee. If the father does go regularly, regardless of the practice of the mother, between two-thirds and three-quarters of their children will go to church. This is not to put down women. This is to show the necessity of fathers in the families, especially taking on their particular role, their particular responsibility. What is that? To be the spiritual leader of their family. Men, fathers, husbands, you are the spiritual leaders of your family. And you cannot slough that responsibility off to someone else. That is your vocation within the context of marriage. And it's imperative that you step up and take that responsibility seriously. And I think it can be argued that there's a crisis of the family, is there not? But the fundamental issue is that there's a crisis in true masculinity. Machismo masculinity is not what's needed. Christ-like masculinity is what is needed. To all you young men out there who are sitting there, Christ-like masculinity is needed. And if your dad isn't given to you, ask him to. Challenge him. Wives, mothers, challenge your husbands, fathers, 
to take their role seriously. Every man desires a battle to fight. It's within us. It's ingrained within us. And the greatest battle we can fight, men, is the battle for our souls, but also for the souls of your bride and your children. The souls of your family. Christ has fought and won the victory, and you must follow in his steps. Let's consider, my brothers and sisters, what happened when the first man, the first husband, failed to fight for his bride. His name was Adam. And he stood there as his wife was tempted, and he said nothing, he did nothing about it. And she fell. Now, this is not to say that women cannot be strong for themselves. They are. But rather, God has called men to fight for them, to protect them, to cherish them, to love them, to honor them. And that means to fight for them. Here at the cathedral, we have a group called the Men of St. Joseph. They meet every Tuesday morning at 7 o'clock in the morning here at the Sacred Heart Center. And at the, each time they pray, at the end of the prayer, they have a specific prayer to St. Joseph that they pray. And I'm always fascinated by a line in the prayer I'd like to share with you, a quote from it. It says this, speaking to God, I solemnly promise to embrace God's will, and I accept the challenge to work tirelessly for my family's salvation. To all you fathers and husbands out there, I have one question for you this Sunday morning. Are you working tirelessly for your family's salvation? If not, why not? And if not, you're losing an important battle. The world needs you. Your bride needs you. Your children need you. We need you. Unless we forget about you beautiful women with great dignity. I'd like to give you a quote that really sums up the order of the family. The order of family life. Pope Pius XI, right on Christian marriage, says this. Beautiful. For if the man is the head, the woman is the heart of the family. And as he, the man, occupies the chief place in ruling the family, so she, the woman, may and ought to claim for herself the chief place in love of the family. Wives, mothers, be lovers. Be women of compassion. Be women of gentleness and kindness, for that is your vocation in marriage and family. If the family will be renewed, we need both of you, men and women, to st step up and take your responsibility and your roles, your unique roles. We need holy families. We need families that are full of saints.